Welcome to our weekend services, all right? And uh, glad that you're here. We're in our series called Gobsmacked, which means what? And 111, do you know what it means? Astounded, right? Okay, it means to be surprised. It means to be shocked. And all summer long, we're looking at these amazing stories that Jesus tells that kind of sneak up on you and astound you and shock you. So I hope you come prepared this weekend to be shocked and astounded. I want to tell you one of those stories this weekend. So turn your Bibles open to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. You can actually read the story, starts in verse 1, but I want to tell you, retell you the story, because stories, to have an impact, need to be heard as much as they need to be read. So I want to kind of paraphrase a little bit in terms of our lingo these days. Jesus said that once upon a time, there was a rich landowner. And this rich landowner had a business manager who was a scoundrel. The business manager was wasting, stealing, taking his money. He knew that because he'd received a report about it. So he called in the business manager and shared the report and then fired him and said to him, before you leave, make sure you bring back the books. The man walked away and he thought to himself, what am I going to do? I'm too old to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. What am I going to do? And then he came up with an idea. He invited in his owner's biggest accounts. The first man was a rancher, an olive tree rancher, and he had quite a bit of the owner's land that he rented to raise his olive trees and collect the olives, and he owed 800 gallons of olive oil from the recent harvest. And the now fired business manager said to him, How about we cut that in half and you only owe 400? That sounded like a great deal. Of course, the man didn't know that he'd been fired. He then called in another man who rented quite a bit of land and said, You owe a thousand bushels of wheat. Let's say you only owe 800. That was a good deal. What was behind this guy's mind? What was going on with the business manager? Well, he figured, you know, if I cut these guys and all the other folks good deals, then when they finally find out that I've been fired because I was so good to them, they'll take me into their homes or maybe they will hire me. When he brought the books in, the owner discovered what he had done, shook his head, and then kind of smiled and said, you know what? I underestimated you. You are pretty shrewd. Now, is Jesus telling us that it's okay to cheat and be dishonest if it's going to get you ahead in life because that's what it sounds like and that's a gobsmacker right there, isn't it? I mean, we've been taught our whole life that dishonesty and cheating and thievery is wrong, but when you look at this story, which has troubled lots of people over the years because it does sound like Jesus is commending this guy for his thievery and for his lying and for his dishonesty, dishonesty, people aren't quite sure what to do with it. 
So we're going to unpack it together and discover what Jesus was really saying. So first of all, we won't be confused. And secondly, most importantly, well, you'll be surprised at the end, all right? So let's pull it apart. And as we begin, uh, we are going to take a look at two interesting characters, all right, that are in our story. And we've got the magic board back. So if you want to draw with Dale here at 111 or wherever you're watching across the world from our internet audience, you are welcome to draw with me, okay? And I've kind of been working on my style a little bit. So I've, I've got something new. And by the way, any resemblances are purely coincidental, all right? So we understand that we've got this We've got this guy who's the landowner. What that simply means is he had a lot of land that he owned, and he would rent it out to various individuals. And uh, what they would do is they would then take whatever they rented out from him, okay, and they would share part of the crop uh, with him. Now, I kind of imagine this guy wearing a, a top hat. All right. I don't know why, but that's kind of what comes into my mind. He kind of looks like uh, the guy that uh, 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 Topham had him on uh, uh, um, the, the choo-choo show the kids watch, right? Thomas, right? Sir Topham hat, right? Kind of what he looks like to me, all right? And I just see this guy as kind of a happy guy. He was well-liked in the community, well-represented, and uh, everybody kind of looked up to him and really enjoyed him. The next character that we discover in our story, however, this guy is a rascal, all right? This guy is indeed a scoundrel. And when I picture him in my mind, uh, first of all, I see him with beady little eyes, all right? And uh, kind of a smirk on his face, all right, because of that. I think he's got big ears, all right? I don't know why. And I see him wearing these spectacles, okay? And... I see him as kind of bald, all right? I don't know why that came to my mind at all, all right? And, uh, you know, he's got everything going as well. And this guy, he's just, he's a clever dude. He's, he is very shrewd. And he's been taking advantage of Mr. Topham had him, all right? <laughs> taking advantage of the owner by kind of pocketing uh, some of the money in skimming off the top and putting it kind of away and doing pretty well as a result of that. And he probably thinks that he's got a great thing going when the owner receives a report from evidently someone that he could really trust because it's very incriminating, and he decides to call a meeting. He calls the meeting with his business manager, this scoundrel, and he says, I've received this report. What do you have to say for yourself? You're fired. Now, there's something kind of peculiar about the story when Jesus tells it to us. What's peculiar about it is the silence of the business manager. It's a real gobsmacking kind of thing that Jesus does to his listeners because in the Middle Eastern times, that Jesus was living in and talking about here, there'd be some negotiations that would be going on here because everybody has to try to save face. And you would expect that uh, our cunning, shrewd, clever business manager might have said, but sir, 
My family has served you for three generations. You can't do this to me. Please give me another chance. Or he might say something like this, but sir, I have so many things that I have to take care of and so many people I have to look after. I don't have a thousand eyes. And yes, some things probably got messed up in the paperwork and, and yeah, things got a little crazy once in a while and I was under so much stress. Please, you gotta give me a chance. You gotta, you, you got, you've given me so much to do. Or you might expect him to say, you know something, I want to face my accusers. You tell whoever gave you that report to show up here, and we'll find out who's guilty or who's not. But he doesn't say a thing. Absolutely silent. Why is he so silent? Because he knows the master, and he knows excuses won't work with this guy. As nice a smile as he has, he's very, very discerning. And by his silence, he admits and confesses that he's been skimming off the top and wasting money and lining his pockets. Gobsmack! Again, the audience listening to Jesus is is frazzled by his story because the owner, all he does is fire the guy when he could do so much more. He could snap the guy like a twig. He could have the guy arrested. He could have his family and his possessions sold to slavery and to the highest bidder to try to recover all of his losses. But he doesn't do that. He just says, you're fired, and lets him go. I don't know about you, but it kind of gets under my skin sometimes when I see people who I know are absolutely guilty get away, as my grandma used to say, scot-free. Does that bother any of you? Well, that's irritating when you know they're guilty, and especially when it's you they've offended and hurt, right? You want to see justice, but, you know, he just, he says, you're fired, and, and off this guy goes. Man, there's a lot of gobsmacking going on in the story, isn't there? Well, this guy's got a problem on his hands. First of all, how did the big boss find out? How did that happen? Who ratted him out? Who got wind of his scheme? Hmm. And what's he going to do? I mean, he can only live off what he's stolen for so long, and he's got to take care of himself. He's got to take care of his family. He wants to keep a certain lifestyle. He's got an ace up his sleeve. He's got a plan that he is 99.9% sure is going to work. Why is he so sure that his plan is going to work? Because he knows the master's soul. He knows how this guy thinks. He knows this guy's temperament. He knows this guy's disposition. And he's sure his plan will work. So he calls in the big accounts. We already heard about that. One man owes 800 gallons. He chops it down to 400 gallons. Another man owes 1,000 bushels of wheat. He brings it down to 800 bushels of wheat. And what might have been happening, we're not, we don't know this for sure. After all, it's Jesus' story. But what did happen in those days, and it ah, may happen nowadays, is he may have called in the guy that had the 800 
gallons of olive oil that he owed and said to him, hey, listen, you owe my boss, he's lying like crazy, isn't he, because he's been fired, you owe my boss 800 gallons. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll work it out. The boss and I are tight. I'll work it out so you only owe 400 gallons. You're going to save 400. Split that with me. I'll take 200. You keep 200. You do well. I do well. We all win. Now, I'm not saying it happened that way, but it sure would have made everybody talk to complicit, wouldn't it? Nobody would be able to open their mouth and say they're swindled because they were all swindling the master. Well, regardless of however he did it, he did it. And man, was the owner ever gobsmacked when he found out what that rascal ex-business manager had done to him. And the audience that heard Jesus' story are gobsmacked so much they almost fall over on their feet. Because the guy looks at the business manager and says, man, I underestimated you, pal. Good move. I admire your shrewdness. What is going on? You should call the FBI. You should have this guy arrested, stuck in prison at least. He should call his corporate lawyer and, and he should make sure that all those contracts, all those deals that were made are nullified because they were without his permission. But he doesn't do a thing. In part because that guy was pretty shrewd. You see, as soon as he made his deals with everybody, word would have spread throughout the entire village and entire community how generous, how wonderful, how magnificent the owner is. He reduced our debts. Wow, what a swell guy. Man, he's a great guy to rent from and work for. And do you think the owner wants to ruin that reputation by then saying, that's really not the truth. I want what is coming to me. Nah, he's going to let it go. And how about the shrewd manager? He's not ignorant. In those days where people were so poor and behaved like peasants, he was like a Robin Hood. He'd come through for everybody. And, and if the owner doesn't want them, they'll hire him because you would rather have a guy like that working for you than for your opposition with that kind of cunning shrewdness. Did you know that Abraham Lincoln, our president, tried to hire his opposition whenever he could so he could keep an eye on them? Interesting. But the question kind of comes back to us. How is it that Jesus tells this story and and seems to commend this guy. And what you got to understand is that Jesus is not commending his thievery. He's not commending his lying. He's commending his shrewdness. Jesus makes it pretty clear in this story in Luke chapter 16 that this guy is a child of the world. He says there in verse 8, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light, that is, those who follow God. In essence, what Jesus is saying in this parable is you have to admire this guy because he took advantage 
And here's where he's shrewd. He took advantage of the grace and generosity of the owner. By the way the owner has behaved in this story, the one thing that's become clear to all of us, he is a gracious and generous man. When he could have gotten even, he refused to do it. And that guy is banking on that gracious and generous spirit. It's as though Jesus is saying this. You know, it's one thing for worldly people to put their trust in someone's generosity or grace to better themselves. How about my followers? How about those who who know me? Oh, I wish I could see them just as passionate, just as trusting in the Father's generosity and extravagant grace. Oh, how I wish they would take advantage of the Father's grace and generosity. Watch this. Watch this. Not to better themselves, but to use it for God's glory. Now, who's he talking to when he tells the story? Obviously, there's the crowd. Obviously, there's the disciples. But this whole story is pinpointed toward a specific group of individuals called the Pharisees, the religious right or fundamentalists of that day, who loved to walk around bragging about how holy they were, contrasting themselves to everyone else. Look how spiritual I am. I keep the law. I obey all the rules. You don't. I'm better than you. They were a self-righteous bunch. That's who the story was aimed at. Listen to what Jesus says to them, beginning at verse 9. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. We'll explain that in a moment. Verse 10. If you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with great responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, heard all this and scoffed at him. Then he said to them, You like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. You should underline that in your Bibles. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Man, I don't want to honor what's detestable in the sight of God, do you? I don't want to be happy about something that God can't stand. See, this guy took advantage of his master's generosity and grace and literally stole what didn't belong to him and used it for his own advantage. We learn in this story that this guy's master is not that man. This guy's master is what? Materialism. Money. Things. 
master his life to the point he's willing to cheat and steal and lie for them. That he's willing to take what does not rightfully belong to him and misuse it. God smacked. What's God saying to you and me this weekend? Is it possible that you and I have taken advantage of God's grace and God's goodness and God's blessings in our life? Not to bring glory to him, but to bring glory to ourselves and benefit to ourselves. That's what the Pharisees did. God gave them position. God gave them possession. God gave them power. God gave them blessings so that they could be used to bless and guide and direct and help and minister to the people. But instead of giving it to the people and ministering to the people and loving the people, they took it all to themselves. They didn't care about the people. They only cared about themselves. God has been extravagantly generous and kind to you and me. I love what it says in Romans 5, 5. It says, for we know how dearly, just, just think about that. For we know how dearly, it's like God just has so much passion for you and for me. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Isn't that amazing? God loves you and me so much that he gave his son to die on the cross for our sins. And then when we receive him, he pours, literally pours himself into our souls. And he just wants to, well, he just wants to take control of us and let us really live life the way life was meant to live, be lived. Kind of wants to make us dangerous for himself. And yet, a lot of us, man, we are just like this guy in the story. We are consumed with materialism. We are consumed with building our own little kingdom. We are consumed with what might be taken away from us and hoarding and keeping it to ourselves. We become miserly. We become worried and anxious about things and stuff. And there's no joy in our lives, especially when the economy goes in the tank. Because what I was honoring in my life is now falling apart. I have no sense of meaning. I have no sense of value. I have no sense of hope. Oh, my goodness. Didn't you realize, didn't I realize that what God gave me, however much or however little it was, was to be used for him and for his glory and his honor? And don't we understand what Jesus says, that when I take what God has given me and use it for his purposes in the world, that I'm actually laying up treasures for myself in heaven? where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot enter in and take it? Didn't I realize that? Don't you realize that? That's what he meant back in verse 10. He says, make some friends for yourself in heaven. You can't take it with you. You can't take all those blessings that you've earned, that you've received with you. So, So spend it on others to make a difference in their lives so that you'll shake hands with them in heaven because of how you sacrificed. It benefited the sake of Christ's death on the cross and the kingdom. Man, I just run into a whole lot of people, a whole lot of believers who are really, I mean, they're stingy with what they've been given. They don't see it belonging to God. It's mine, mine, mine. And it's all about what I can do with it to build my little kingdom. And 
hang on to a tight fist, and when it's taken away from us, we about have a breakdown. There's no joy in our lives because our lives are built around things rather than what God has done for us. I fight that. I'm Dutch. I fight it twice. (laughs) Right? I'm preaching to myself as much as I am to you. So how about it? We had gobsmacked this weekend. Did God surprise you a little bit? Is his spirit convicting you about your hoarding, your keeping, your scheming to take advantage of God's goodness and grace in your life to use what he's given you for yourself rather than for him? Ah, oh, you say, are you telling me that the only way I could be pleasing to God is I got to be just dirt poor? I, I didn't say that at all. See, the issue isn't whether you're rich or not rich or poor or not poor. The issue is whatever God has given you, are you a good steward? Are you a good manager of it? Are you using it to glorify him or to build your own kingdom? Only you can answer that question this weekend. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for the gobsmack moments when you confront us with our own selfishness. And I'll be the first, Lord, to say that I struggle with that from time to time. And it upsets me that I can go from being so filled with joy and so thankful for what you've done for me, from surrendering to you and wanting to live it all on the line for you to become consumed with what I have or don't have. With making my plans on how I'll use it and how I'll enjoy it. God, you have been so good to me. I want my joy not to be in what you've given me materially, but what you've given me in Jesus Christ. And in the future, Lord, I want that to be true for everyone sitting here. Father, it starts with our tithes and our offerings. Giving back to you a portion of what you've given to us as a way of saying, God, I'm not hanging on to this. Here's some. Use it. It's yours. God, it comes down to using our homes to bless other people. To invite them in, to break bread with them, to share our belongings, our possessions with them comes down to hospitality and encouragement, putting an arm around another person and just showing them God's love, sharing our lives with others. God, may we give ourselves away, God, that we might experience the fullness of who you are. I don't want to be a Pharisee. Do you? I hope not. I want you to know that God loves every one of you this weekend extravagantly. Don't leave here with your head down moping. Leave here with your head up hoping in the glory and the grace of what God has done for you. Just stop having such a tight fist. Give back to God a portion of all that he's blessed and given to you. Not just monetarily, but in your time, in your service, in your hospitality, in your smile in your life. Be Jesus this week. Amen.